Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome, as per usual. Awesome. Right on. Great to have you back, Helena. It really is. So, all right. And we need to welcome Lillian and her family back, too. So, from Burkina. So, sorry about the weather, Lillian. <laughs> Can't help it. Just we're Canadians here. Yeah. So, we're going to talk about um, gentleness today. And I think gentleness may be one of those characteristics that is the most undervalued. But God wants us to grow in gentleness. Biblical scholar um, Chris Wright defines gentleness as the ability to endure things like criticism and hostility without aggression. We live with gentleness when we have learned to respond in Christ-like ways to things like conflict or quarrels or rejection and harsh words spoken against us, not with our own harsh words or aggressive speech, not with defensive posture or angry gestures, but with softness, controlling our tongue and our temper. And you listen to that and you go, oh my goodness, that ain't easy. When you couch it in, those, in that context, it isn't easy, is it? I mean, it's easy to be gentle when someone's gentle to you, but when you put it in the context of conflict, ah. Gentleness is understanding the feelings of others. It recognizes that other people have feelings too. You know, chances are, the person who is being a little bit nasty with you may be just as hurt about what's going on between you as you are, right? Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, 3 to 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. And so gentleness is being sensitive to the feelings and interests of other people. When we respond in gentleness, it actually might help to diffuse the tension. Has that happened to you? It does happen. Diffuse the tension and reduce the unnecessary arguments and aggression. One thing about gentleness is that it is very countercultural, especially in Paul's day. In Paul's day, they lived in a Greco Roman world, and gentleness, or meekness as it's sometimes called, was not a valued virtue. Meekness was considered weakness. Now, it wasn't, though, as that the Greek people didn't have gentleness as a virtue. And the old Greek philosopher, a hundred years before Jesus' time, Aristotle, he impacted how the Greeks thought and the Romans thought, 
and uh, gentleness was included as a virtue. But Aristotle's kind of gentleness as a virtue was very different. It was kind of wimpy. There is... I got the wrong page here. For him, gentleness lay halfway between excessive anger and apathy. So he defined gentleness this way, as having a calmly measured response to everything life throws at you. So the logic was, it's better than losing your temper, and it's better than not caring at all. But this kind of being in control kind of gentleness is really a long ways off from the fruit of gentleness that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, closely connected to gentleness is humility. And humility was definitely, absolutely despised by Greek culture. In fact, humility is regarded as a vice. So, you know, we talk about how real men... Is it don't eat quiche or eat quiche? I forget which one it was. All right? Well, real men in Greek culture were neither gentle nor humble. Real men were powerful. Real men were dominant. Real men were successful. If you were a gladiator, I mean, goodness sakes, you were worshipped along with the gods, right? Because you were strong. You were powerful. Now, if you boasted, And if you were proud of your strengths and you told people about it, they hailed you even more, right? That's the kind of world it was. If you were a winner, they would say, well, brag about it. Boast about it, for goodness sakes. Don't be so humble. So being humble just did not fit into how society thought back then. Early on, the disciples of Jesus, wanted to turn Jesus basically into a superhero who would be used by them because of his miracles to tear down the evil Roman Empire. And so sadly, their thinking was very Roman, very Greek. And so, you know, James and John, you know what they were called, right? Sons of Thunder. They were not called the Sons of Thunder for nothing, right? They were the zealots. They wanted to take control, right? They wanted positions of authority beside Jesus. In fact, right even before Jesus ascended back into heaven again, the disciples still didn't quite get it. They said something like this, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Interesting. Beating the evil empire with power and aggression was what they were still thinking in their mind. But what did Jesus say to them? Jesus said, the Father will set things up according to his own authority. And then he profoundly says, and then you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But of course, you understand, it was a power of a radically different kind. It was people being filled with the Holy Spirit, changed from the inside out. God desires kingdom-minded people who are filled with the Spirit, revealing characteristics of love, of kindness, of patience, and of gentleness. But the aggressive culture 
of the Greco-Roman world is still with us. Our culture still desires big personalities, beautiful actresses, handsome actors, popular artists, super athletes. In fact, strong and belligerent politicians become like modern gods and superheroes. Whether for bad or good, these are the people that we follow and want them to work in our favor. But there is a much better way to build God's kingdom. It isn't political. It is through the strength of gentleness. So gentleness is actually strong, not weak. Gentleness is not weak. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, when we demonstrate gentleness in the face of conflict and opposition, we actually show strength, incredible strength. Jesus said himself, blessed are the meek, so they, and they will inherit the earth. I mean, that's a profound statement. Now think about the elephant. Elephants are strong animals, and we know that. In fact, in some countries of the world, they are used for logging, and they are known to uproot the trees. But these large animals are also gentle giants, especially if they're tame from a young age. Uh, I'm told that the elephant trunk has like 40,000 separate muscles in their trunk alone, strong enough to rip branches out of the trees, but sensitive enough to pick a single blade of grass. And so a trained elephant has both strength but very careful gentleness, unlike the uh, the proverbial bull in the china shop. But as we think about the elephant, we think about God. God is also powerful, but he's also gentle. We know that he spoke the world into existence. He split open the Red Sea and then he closed it back up again in power. He shows his incredible strength and power in a storm and he has a voice that can melt mountains. Yet the psalmist often spoke about God's gentleness. So after describing God's power in Isaiah chapter 40, he says this, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. God is also gentle like a parent. Philippians, uh, Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Jesus came as a gentle servant. You know, years before Jesus came to this earth and born in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah described this coming servant, as he would call him, who turns out to be Jesus, but he describes him in very gentle terms. Look, my servant, whom I strengthen. 
He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out the flickering candle. Interesting. Not coming in aggression, but in gentleness. You know, there are lyrics to a hymn I remember singing as a child and went something like this, Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, though was once a little child. You know, during this Advent season, we meditate once more on the incarnation of God. And incarnation simply is the marvel, marvel of how God himself came to this world by becoming a human being, just like us. In fact, he was carried by his mother Mary for nine months, just like us. The only difference was Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit and not through a man. Jesus came into the world through the birth canal of a mother's body. Helpless, needing the warmth of swaddling clothes, just like us. And speaking of his birth, Paul says in Philippians 2.7, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. It's gentle, non-aggressive. One of the most moving words that Jesus ever spoke are these. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And listen to this. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Those are profound words. Words like this coming from God disarm you, right? This is a God that you want to approach. Jesus' gentle words have your needs in mind. He knows our brokenness. He is not rough. He is not insensitive to our hurts and wounds. And the evidence of his gentleness was shown in so many stories where Jesus was gentle with people. John 4 talks about Jesus' visit with a Samaritan woman. She came to get water. But Jesus was incredibly gentle with this bruised reed. Even though he was also very truthful, he was actually quite direct with her, he tells her that she has had five husbands And the one she is now living with is not her husband. You know, we often take Jesus' words as kind of a rebuke for her immorality. But even though she accepts this was true, it may not be necessarily be because of her unfaithfulness. Uh, We have to understand that in that day, men could divorce their wives. And it was always thought as the man's prerogative. I mean, they could drop their wives like a drop of a hat just because she burnt his toast or something like that. It was that easy. 
So she may have actually been the victim of male exploitation, roughed up and thrown away by five different men. And then the cycle may be repeating itself once again with the man she is now with. So whatever led to her brokenness, Jesus led her to acknowledge that her greatest need was living water that came from Jesus himself. Living water that came through a relationship with God himself through Jesus. He was a source of living water. And he comes in gentleness for people just like this broken woman. Yes, she can have living water. And so compassion and gentleness was Jesus' approach for the broken. Jesus also demonstrated incredible gentleness during his arrest, his trial, and finally his crucifixion. You know, gentleness is really put to a test when Jesus suffered in the hands of those who arrested him. But when Jesus was arrested without probable cause, I mean, he could have caught on, of course, called on a legion of his angels to protect him, but he did not. When the Jewish and the Roman courts brought him in, Jesus could have easily challenged and charged his enemies with angry rebuttal. He could have blown them away. But he was nearly silent. When they nailed him to the cross, they could have called down, he could have called down curses on his enemy because of the evil of the moment of this moment, but he did not. Rather, he prayed to God to forgive them. Yes, he did. As he hung from the cross in agony, he thought about the needs of his mother, and he made sure that a certain disciple would care for her. In the face of incredible suffering, Jesus showed amazing power through the strength of gentleness. As Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So we turn to ourselves. We're called to live with gentleness. When Paul addressed the troubled Corinthian church, he began by saying this, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. That's a great start. Paul, as you know, faced many obstacles in this church. He faced proud leaders who wanted to be number one. He faced gifted leaders, super apostles. But they lacked love. Those who thought only about their own own agenda suing each other, not to mention sexual immorality. This is a hurting, hurting church. And so truth-telling is important. Sometimes directness and firmness is needed, but he spoke the truth 
and he warned this church, and his speech and his actions were always bathed in humility and the gentleness of Christ. He was very fully aware of that. He didn't bully people into right living. No yelling, no heavy-handed tactics. He remembered himself that he once treated the church very, very badly, and he knows it, he remembers it, right? And he knows that Jesus himself came to him in grace. That's why he is who he is, apostle of God's grace. Transformed by God's grace, God's grace he now speaks the truth with humility and gentleness, like a concerned parent. He became like a Jesus to them, suffering, weeping, wanting righteousness in their lives, concerned about them. He came in gentleness. And so we must be the same. So he did it Jesus' way, not the bull in the china shop way. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Uh, Underline that verse. Maybe even circle it. That's a profound verse. You know how it is, right? It's very easy to get hot under the collar when you think people do wrong. We need help. We need to help people, obviously, who go off the rails morally or in some other way. But how we restore people is critical, right? The way in which you do it is critical. And so Paul mentions two things about the one helping. Number one, be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? You who are filled with the Spirit... And then your approach. Your approach must be gentle. Because every one of us are like fragile jars of clay, aren't we? We are. And the reason why we fail to be gentle so many times when we try to correct maybe our children, maybe our own church family members, maybe our work associates, is probably because we are not filled with the Holy Spirit on that day. We're reacting rather than out of the outflow of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe we're just emotionally charged by our knee-jerk reactions. That's not being spirit-filled. That's being motivated by the flesh. And sometimes we justify what we do because we say we're speaking the truth. But how we do it has gone very, very badly, Right? And so Paul says elsewhere, I think it's Ephesians, speak the truth in love. Be full of God and be gentle as the Holy Spirit is gentle with you. Now my late professor and mentor, Eugene Peterson, told a story about walking with his family when they were children at Yellowstone Park. And they were walking in a meadow, and uh, he noticed there was a young boy, probably four or five years old, and he was picking um, flowers in the meadow, exquisite mountain alpine flowers. 
And Eugene says, it's against the rule to pick flowers in the park, right? Don't be touching those flowers. You leave everything alone. And so he was outraged, and he called out to this young boy, don't pick the flowers. The boy stood up, wide open, wide-eyed, innocent, now terrified, dropped his flowers, and he ran. Eugene's wife and his children were unimpressed and they began to scold him. Dad, what you did was far worse than what he did. Come on, you scared him half to death. You ruined him. He's probably going to have to go for counseling when he's 40 years old. I'm not sure how much of that is an exaggeration on Eugene's part, but whatever. You get the point. And so Eugene confesses and says... My children were right. You cannot, you cannot yell people into holiness. You cannot terrify people into the sacred. My yelling was far worse of a violation of the holy place than him picking up a few flowers. Later, Eugene says, I had plenty of opportunity to reflect on what happened. Reminded as I frequently, frequently was by my children, you know how that goes. He says, I do that a lot. I bluster and yell on behalf of God's holy presence instead of taking off my shoes myself, kneeling on holy ground. What Eugene's talking about at the end there is, is the sacredness of stopping yourself, taking your knee, and praying to God about what's going on in your heart, right? That's being filled with the Spirit. That's listening to God's voice. Say, okay, I went too far here. I'm going to do business with God. Whatever it takes. Confessing our sins, identifying what it is, asking God to help us change, to become more gentle. So as we close, uh, I just want to um, put up a few verses here. And um, there are application verses, perhaps, on gentleness to meditate on. And so um, just a little bit of self-reflection here. And as you do this, um, just want to remind you, any of these qualities, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, that person kind of lacks it. Um, kind of draw back a bit and say, what about me? Okay, what about me? This is not time to evaluate others. This is you, okay? So let me read them. And as you do, uh, pray, Lord, um, is there something here? that I need to hear and obey. Thank you. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I'm not sure about you, but 
The word all kind of sticks out to me. Easy to be gentle with people who are gentle. Not always easy to be gentle with people who rough you up. Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as God's, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Well, you paid for gentleness morning this morning, but you got a lot more. Lots there. So, you know, uh, do you put clothes on in the morning? I hope so. I know you do. In the same way, we must put on the character of Jesus. Be filled by the Spirit as we move out into each day. All of these qualities are the growing marks of those who are God's children, loved by God. If we are angry, if we are upset and rough, then something isn't quite right with us in our spirit. So ask God to show you what that might be. Colossians 4, 5 to 6 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. So here is a verse that's talking about when you operate outside of the church for those with those who do not know Christ yet. And he's focusing on your speech, right? How we speak the truth about Christ is once again the point, the how. Full of grace, seasoned with salt, which is used to make food taste better. So how we speak it actually makes the gospel message come alive. Finally, last verse. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Lord, we just pause. And we ask for your help. Especially when we think about our words and our actions in the face of opposition or criticism. We desperately need your help to be kind and gentle. Because in our natural self, we just don't have it. But you have gifted us, Lord, with your spirit. You saved us to be transformed, to be different people, to become more like Jesus. And help us, Lord, by your grace to become far more gracious and gentle people with our families, with our children, 
with our spouses, with our church family, with our work associates, with anyone that we bump into in our day-to-day lives. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to serve you in our world. But may we, the church, be the most gentle people on this earth to show your great love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Let's stand and sing this final song.